Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. And God caught on gothic ceilings, the most ornate in the world. What a sight, what a privilege to feel those heights. But my prayer stayed up there spinning. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's a blind always comes at the most frightening time to make sure you won't forget. Yes, this is the Stories We Don't Tell podcast. What happens on this podcast? So we're going to take a story from our monthly storytelling event in Toronto, and we're going to use it as a starting point, or I guess an ending point, for conversations about storytelling. Hmm. Well, <laughs> maybe we should tell everybody who's talking, because there's a third person in the room who hasn't said anything yet. All right, so should we go around to I start, because I'm talking right now? Yeah. All right, I'm Stefan. Uh, we, didn't come up with, we didn't come up with a way we should introduce ourselves. Uh, so you, I'm going to say that... Do you have a last name, Stefan? No, I don't. It's you're just, just Stefan. Okay. Just like you're just Paul. I'm, my name's Stefan Hosdetter. Uh, I'm one of the three of us who will be sort of your hosts, guides, or whatever you'd like to call for this podcast. Uh, if three things I'm into, uh, which is that's what we're going to do, uh, are socks, baseball, and the environment. So three things I like. <laughs> my name is Paul... I've got a last name. It's Dor. Great. And um, I also have another podcast called the Open Kwong Door Podcast, and I'm an author. Uh, and I'm Brianne Bennis. I uh, started the writing group that we're about to talk about, and I like making content for the internet, so I run a bunch of blogs most of the time. And I have a list of failed products, projects that I won't describe right now that really is how I got here, and they're all weird internet projects. Brianne, you said that you like to start weird projects but one of the ones that were that was not weird well maybe it was well, a little weird because it was a little at first um but it's been going for a long time now maybe and it has to, it does have to do with what we're talking about over a year and a half ago now i gave up on my last internet project which was basically a website where i really wanted to collect people who were going to write about um, identity and personal experiences and stuff and i found it really unsatisfying because i wanted I wanted to actually um, meet with those people and find out what they were, what they were about and how they kind of got to the, the pieces that they were writing. So I decided that instead of a website, I should just start that group because as it turned out, that was what I actually was looking for. So I got together with a friend of mine and we kind of laid out a structure. And then I, as you both know, pitched it at the Center for Social Innovation at a summit meeting here and, um, and started what is called let's get personal and what was the structure that you set up yeah so so we decided we wanted a personal essay group so first of all we were going to look for some kind of we called them prompts they're that's kind of i still call them prompts i guess but that's kind of misleading so some kind of reading before each meeting which was going to be from the genre so classic personal essays or contemporary personal essays so i really was and I'm still kind of obsessed with, say, Roxane Gay, Cheryl Strayed, Emily Rapp. So everybody would read the same piece as a basis for conversation and then write some kind of a response to that. So whatever it made you feel or think about or, or something, just kind of try to get that off your chest. And that would be 
the less precious piece that everyone would bring and have in common. And then we also had just whatever you were working on at the time. I, I was in a few, uh, in and out of a few writing groups myself. And uh, the thing that appealed to me about this is that I was starting to write more about myself and all of that as well. So that's what really appealed to me is the sort of personal angle of it. It was a little weird that we're complete strangers. We didn't know each other at the time. And I think I remember the first time we met, you wrote an essay and I was like, oh, holy shit. This is, uh, (laughs) I was just thinking if I should swear or not. I think this is a swearing podcast, Paul. (laughs) But just that this is, this is, uh, it's not, we're not just talking about a fun story that sort of happened to me. The point was to really get, you know, to get uh, personal. So the name was both cheesy and true. Mm-hmm. And I, I know when I started it, I was in this place where I was writing about, as, as you'll hear, because that's the story we're going to use today, just I was processing a lot of stuff. I was processing a breakup. I was processing uh, some grief. I had lost my dad pretty recently. And I was working through the decision to stop talking to my mom, which is what everyone will get to hear about shortly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was kind of, it was a lot. And this was a way to, to work through that and give that its own shape. But I was I was really apprehensive about trying to just find a writing group in the city and show up with that when I mm. had no idea what the tone was. And it could be like, hello, strangers, I'd like to unload on you now. Mm. Um, so I figured that the best way to make sure that this that I had a room where I could read something like that would be to to make that room myself. And, and what's interesting, actually, is I have the exact opposite uh, experience that Paul did, uh, which was that I had never been to a writing group ever before. Mm. Uh, and so I just walked in. I came in, I think, actually a couple of weeks after you did, Paul, uh, because I was I was I couldn't make the meetings from the beginning. I had no idea really what to expect at all. And so when I got there, I was like, oh, this is must be what writing groups are like. <laughs> yeah, <I'm>, no, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> most I, of them are not like that. <laughs> Yeah, and it was, but it was, it was exactly sort of, yeah, because I, I don't remember exactly the first essays that you guys read. I remember I brought two that actually, things I'd already written before, uh, just, just because I had no idea what to expect at all. Uh, and then we got sort of, got into it right away. Yeah. I slowly lose track of my transgressions, but the conclusion still seems inevitable. I'm manipulative, I'm selfish, I'm mean, I'm inadequate, incapable of generating the love and caring that my mother seems to need from me. So we were, we were in this place where we were doing this writing group and we were like, hey, this is, this is really unusual that actually, as it turns out, starting with this story about secrets and shame, which I read at the first meeting, I was like, okay, this might be a lot and I know that, but um, I'm just going to do it because... This is what I want the space to be. And, um, and so we kind of, we started there and, and I think it, it worked somehow. Mm-hmm. So, so we kept coming back and we kept, we found that it was working. And I think as time went on, we were happier with the pieces that we were writing. And then we, we kind of paid more attention to the storytelling scene in Toronto and like, okay, if I do want to share this, where do I go? Yeah. So we started looking for places to share this if we wanted to at the storytelling scene. And there's a lot of great events in the city, but we were still like, this room doesn't feel like this microcosm of the reference library that we've created. Um, so we decided to do our own. And then the first thing that always matters, of course, is the name. 
because the name is, if I understand anything, it's that the name is what makes everything. It became clear that there's all these conversations, all these stories we have that we that we use to build up our own sense of self. Uh, you know, there are five. Everyone has the stories that they can go to and be like, "This is why I do this. This is why I do this. This is why I do this. This is why this matters." Every part of your life probably has a story you've attached to it that explains what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, what I was really interested in were all these other stories that we don't tell. All these other stories that build up our sense of self and are part of our identity, but that aren't things, aren't stories we tell exactly. When we were, we were doing this event or we were doing this writing group for. Uh, a few months and we're getting like really deep into all this into all of this stuff but I think similar to what I was saying about like writing different writing groups and finding the right kind of one and what you were talking about about creating that space we just really decided one day didn't what happened we just sat down and said let's maybe try and bring this to an audience or something like that I think what is scary about it or what can be scary with the kind of stuff that we were writing is that you can't always tell you can't tell if the audience is with you. When we were talking about what to do with our room or with what we were writing, we were like, we need to be really careful because talking to a room full of people about something that might be really honestly hard to listen to, like we want to make sure we want to make sure that they're with us and that they're okay. It seems to to be and I I know we've all gotten comments about this with with people that have have come to the to the to the show is that it was decided to just do it in Stefan's apartment. If you want to have the control and also to to create this type of atmosphere, uh, where better do it than in than in a private residence? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's sort of I think that what's been interesting is that sort of just really this logistical decision uh, that was like, well, it, we can do it in someone's apartment because it's right there. We can have a BYOB and we can do and we can have this kind of control over it has actually sort of set a tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the event, which we didn't fully anticipate actually what was going to be happening, I think. It's almost like we have now, uh, we get all these people to come out, and it's like we've just got a big writing group. Because for both the storytellers and the audience, there's just something, like people that have come to see the show, they're like, yeah, there's something just kind of weird and cool to have to take your shoes off and like sit on the floor. And for the storyteller, you're they're right there as well. There's no you're not up on a stage. You're not sort of separated from the audience. You can see them. And you're saying to connect. How do you know when the audience is with you? You can like totally feel it in the room that when they're with you. And usually they they are. So for the first one, everybody that everybody that told a story, we had five storytellers at the first one was members of the writing group. So we kind of came in with stuff that we'd already been working on for. However, however long, I guess that'll come up as we play those stories. And um, we kind of just, we just went for it. We kind of started doing what have become workshops. We wanted to keep Let's Get Personal going, so we decided to do a separate mechanism. And we basically invited them over for brunch twice. We turned that into a workshop, so. And now it's just become a thing. That's what we do with every event is there's two workshops and uh, leading up to the event. It's something else I think we've talked a lot about in, in regards to the event is the there's the tone of it and Mm -hmm. why people are coming and the audiences and what i am just amazed at every month at stories we don't tell is that we kind of have like an amazing audience like the audiences that come because they seem to know what they're getting into and they seem into it and they're there to you know come and see this and it's interesting because we're we're trying to walk a line. I feel uh, of that we're not a therapy session, mm. uh, and I think there's constantly that sort of tension uh, where you can dip too far into that. Even 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 early on at the at, at the let's get personal meetings, it was still the sort of interesting sense of 
trying to walk that tension of how to is it like, too much is it too much and is, is it too much and also like is the does it start do you start losing the story because that's the key is that you can tell as personal stories you want or as tough a story as you want but it, the, the difference is whether if it's a story if it still has that strong structure it's not a therapy session you're not just saying a bunch of things that made you sad Her healing journey has brought her to this form of spirituality that I can only describe as new age. Her pendulum is her constant companion. It's a tool guided by spirits that will answer any yes or no questions that she might ask. So the pendulum has confirmed my stepdad's affair and it's also confirmed her darkest repressed memories of growing up in a cult. first episode the basic kind of let's call it loose structure that we're doing we're sort of taking a story from our events and using that as an anchor or to to spark some kind of whatever we want to talk about but for your story I think it really kind of portrays uh, what was kind of going on in that writing group beforehand because it's it's a lot of what we talk about that you know, looking back at, at certain experiences you've had and bringing, um, you know, it creating new context for you or you learn something about it or something like that. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about your story that we're going to hear. As, as I mentioned, I was kind of processing a lot of stuff at once at that time, like two years ago maybe. And so I started writing in general to just try to like sort my way through it. And what I found was that like once you can get something on a page that makes sense to you, that like it has a start and an end as an essay, whether or not that's true, like a narrative start and end, it really, it was really helpful. But it, some of the themes in this essay slash story that, um, that we'll be playing are about secrets and shame and how they, they reinforce each other. And so that was one of the biggest things when I was trying to write this out and sort through it was like, it's not just that this is something that I experienced and I want to write about it and I want to I want to write about it for my own self. It's also that one of the reasons that this was so challenging was that it was it was a secret. With with the writing group, like I said, I was looking for a place to kind of to share it and not have it be a therapy session and not have it be a, a kind of discussion where everyone goes silent because someone was vulnerable. But like, hey, this was an experience and it was challenging, and now this is how I'm going to get to the other side of it, and I want a, a room for that. It would be easier, Samia hesitates, if she just didn't exist. Although I know that this is where she was going, it had to be, I'm still glad that she's the one who said it. It just sounds so flippant, so convenient, as if we're two petulant children wishing away our mother instead of what we really are. A married 39-year-old woman with two children and a 26-year-old girl half-sisters who've both lost our fathers, who don't take the loss or dissolution of a parent lightly. My sister's father died on my 21st birthday. She found out an hour before we were supposed to leave her home for a day of wine tasting in the Sonoma Valley. My father died a week after my sister's first child was born. I didn't see my nephew until he was 10 months old because our accumulating grief prevented us from seeing what we could be for one another. We're trying to decide how to talk to, live with, move past our mother. 
Neither of us has spoken to her in a year, but we still occasionally communicate with her by email. Communicate is an inaccurate term, really, because what happens is that we're lambasted, accused, excoriated. We're thrown off balance for days. This woman who's supposed to love us, who we're supposed to love, is sad and lonely and raging, and we've run out of salve. It starts small. I don't send her the money for my car insurance on time, and she gets frustrated and angry. She feels unloved. She tells my sister how irresponsible and thoughtless I am. She tells me how shallow and like snobby my sister has become. I slowly lose track of my transgressions, but the conclusion still seems inevitable. I'm manipulative, I'm selfish, I'm mean, I'm inadequate, incapable of generating the love and caring that my mother seems to need from me. I'm eight years old, sitting on a bench with a friend at recess. My mother has just realized that she was abused by my grandfather. I have some sense that she confronted him, that this is why we won't be seeing her family for a while. And I know better to say this out loud, but it begins to punctuate my conversations. At eight, I don't understand what sexual abuse might mean, but I carry this blurry vision of shame and hurt. My friend asks me a question and I answer without thinking because I know that if I let my thoughts bleed into my speech, then the secret and the shame and the hurt are going to come out. But it isn't my secret or my shame or my hurt, so I charge part of myself with guarding them and part of myself with making sure that nobody knows what I'm guarding. I'm 11 years old, trying to climb in through the ground floor window of our old Victorian house. My mother and I have locked ourselves out somehow, and my stepdad's not around to let us in. He left earlier when my mom accused him of having an affair with one of her best friends, although she assures me that he'll be back. Her healing journey has brought her to this form of spirituality that I can only describe as New Age. Her pendulum is her constant companion. It's a tool, guided by spirits, that will answer any, no, any yes or no questions that she might ask. So the pendulum has confirmed my stepdad's affair, and it's also confirmed her darkest repressed memories of growing up in a cult. In some people, she sees her sh secrets and her shame and her hurt reflected back, and so she knows that they were abused too, that they're in cults too. She tells me who among my friends have been abused, whose parents are in cults. I try to be as understanding as possible about the shame and the hurt that my friends must be experiencing, and I know not to mention it to them directly, but I charge part of myself with guarding their secrets and part of myself with making sure that they don't know that I'm sharing their burden. She becomes obsessed with exercising our home, our lives. Once, when, she move, when we move, she throws out many of my stepdad's clothes because of their malevolent energy. The by-the-minute psychic that she calls when nobody's home tells her that she's going to win the lottery. So she go, decides to replace the furniture in my bedroom and her office and our living room on credit. I have this sense that she's spoiling us with money that she doesn't have yet, but I'm not sure how to ask if it's okay. She tells me that we deserve nice things. We start to see her family again. We form tentative relationships with my grandmother, and then my uncle dies. I'm not sure which part of myself to give to these people. My mother and my sister are able to draw on their established relationships to feign normalcy, but at 11 and then 13 and then 16, I can barely feign normalcy to begin with. 
This family knows about the secrets and the shame and the hurt, but I'm still pretty sure that I shouldn't talk about it, so I just don't talk about anything at all. My mother accuses me of not loving her family as much as I love my father's family, of not trying hard enough. She's hurt and then angry when I say that I barely know them, that they don't feel like family to me at all. When she drives me to college my sophomore year, we don't make it out of our town before I call my stepdad because she and I are fighting so much that she almost hit me with her open palm and then almost hit a pedestrian with the van. He talks me down and somehow she and I make the two-day trip to school. A month later, she calls me to tell me that her biopsy has come back and she has cancer. Soon she begins chemo and radiation and it is as horrible as the movies have led me to believe. I drink away most of the semester, and more secrets start to punctuate my conversations. When I walk past anyone on campus, I want to stop them. I want to ask them how their lives are proceeding so normally. I want to yell at them that my mother was abused, and her parents were in a cult, and my stepdad had an affair, and her brother died from cancer, and now she has cancer. Shortly after she goes into remission, my father's diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. It feels to me like there are only so many memories and so many stories that we all must share. I'm not sure that I'll ever get to know my mother because she changes with every memory that she uncovers. Her reality and her history have been evolving since I was eight years old, maybe longer. I'm not sure that I'll ever get to know my father either because he was already losing his memories years before I understood how precious they were. When he dies, I can't contain my grief anymore. I don't have any more parts of myself to charge with this. I forget how to interact with my peers. I'm not sure how to have a real conversation because I don't have the means to cull the secrets and the shame and the hurt from the thoughts, feelings, and ideas that I know I'm allowed to share. When I tell my mother that I can't spend Christmas with her because I can barely get out of bed, she tells me that I'm manipulative, that I'm lying, that I'm using this loss to my advantage. She tells my sister that I'm possessed. Sami and I have begun to catalog our scars. For the first time, we're able to talk openly about the secrets and the shame and the hurt that we've been harboring for our mother about the anxiety we feel about adequately maintaining relationships, about how just seeing her number on call display can leave us reeling for days. Does everybody feel like this? There are days when I'm sure that nobody calls their mother as often as she would like, that we're mining our childhoods for some Freudian trauma to justify our callous behavior. But there are also days when I'm sure that I've never been possessed, that my friends didn't grow up in cults, and that I'm slowly building and testing the new foundations of the reality where I'll spend the rest of my life. Thank you. You can find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life-collecting business. Today's episode of Stories We Don't Tell is brought to you by your favorite boutique data collection firm, Misplaced Metrics. Thanks to Rihanna for our theme music. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rihanna.ca. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast.